Welcome back, everybody. I have another episode of the Fraud Boxer podcast coming at you today. Today, I have Pete Barker, Spy Cloud. How are you doing today? Hey, Jordan. Great to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Now, you and I go way back, and uh, I'm super excited to have you on this today because we have done a lot of uh, a lot of events and a lot of panels in the past. So I'm super pumped to have you on here today and, and get to have this conversation about Spy Cloud, about you. Um, about where the industry is, because I think this is a very a very interesting piece of the industry. We all talk about fraud. We all talk about breaches and ATOs, uh, but we are not in the ones in the weeds ourselves that are doing the work on 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 making these things un- unknown, where they are happening, where they're coming from, what's happening to the data, and that's something that you guys do. So yeah, thanks again. Awesome. Well, hey, you know, if I look back, I think, gosh, I think we met probably six, seven years ago at the MRC back in the day, right? Yeah. Early on. That's a lifetime in this industry, you know. You're not lying, especially coming out of COVID. It seems like, you know, like 20 years at this point, right? It really does. Yeah. That, that, that's three years that it's been since this COVID thing was getting going. It's really like just been like lost time to me. I don't know about to you, but for me, it's like, it's like it didn't happen. And then I'll start talking to somebody about something and they're like, yeah, that was like four years ago. I'm like, what? (laughs) <laughs> it was like it was just yesterday. It's because we've been inside for so long. But yeah, you know, you and I, we've done we've done a number of panels. We've done a number of uh, even the virtual ones, too. But yeah, I think uh, we just did one of the, the most recent MRC, didn't we? Yeah. And I got to tell you, to your point, I want to say you and I have been shoulder to shoulder at least three or four times on panels um, in person and, you know, virtual ones as well. And I can't thank you enough. Uh, you yeah. and others that helped out this year with uh, the MRC Vegas. It was great to see everybody again this year. It was like, holy smokes, here's here's my people. And the help out Spy Cloud um, this year, that was awesome. So thank you again. Yeah, I had a really good time. I think we had a really good group there with Keith on there. Uh, and then Diana from from uh, Finish Line, who just was on a, another episode, a couple, two episodes, actually, a couple episodes ago here. So we're getting the whole band back together over here. Uh, you and I also, I think, did, um, we were on the uh, emailage uh, advisory board for a while there, too. So, yeah. Yeah, I remember those. I mean, that was a lot of fun back in the day. Um, it was great to be able to connect with you know, industry experts like yourself and others and get into these kind of think tank situations and really look at a product and say, hey, how could we help you all make this better? So that was really fun. Yeah, I think it's really important. Like I've always enjoyed doing advisory boards. I've been on a number of them in the past. I think it's really important for vendors to do a voice of the customer and learn what their users are doing and how their users are using their product to make sure that like they're developing the product in a way that that is useful for us to actually be able to use. You know, one of the things that I always uh, I always make fun of companies that like, innovate for the sake just of innovation not for the, the the sake of usefulness you know you'll see like apps on your phone they'll completely change overnight and you're like that is not at all how i ever wanted to use this at all and i think that it's really important to get feedback before you make those changes to make sure you don't eliminate or or add additional clicks to something that like uh, the vast majority of your users were uh we're using on a daily basis. You know, there's a lot of focus groups, a lot of like software, like full story and quantum metrics that you can see how users interact, but there's nothing that, that beats just getting a bunch of your users in a room, especially at the same time and just having them spill their guts on how they use the product, what they like about it and what they hate about it and taking that criticism, you know, and actually applying it to your future offerings. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to your point, feedback is 100% um, the right way to go, especially from a solution provider's perspective. You know, everybody's out there fighting to try to get business today. And when you have a really good relationship or partnership, it should be both sided. It should be two sided. Hey, what are we doing right? What could we be doing better? So to your point, it's mission critical to have that type of dialogue. Yeah, it's a whole podcast we could do a whole other day. I can give you a lot of feedback about companies that you buy something from them and then you never hear from them ever again. They just kind of just go away. And then and then if you ask them for something, they act like you're bothering them. And I just I just don't understand companies that do that. But yeah, you know, you and I, we spent a lot of time too at uh at the MRC, like you were mentioning, you know, that that's where we, we spent a lot of time together uh, on these panels and everything. And then I do think that the same thing, you know, getting in, in a, a group of, together of, of our peers, you know, to talk about the things that we're facing is just doing things like that. Getting people in rooms, you know, like that's the theme of this beginning is getting people in a room is just so valuable that and that's something that was lost over the pandemic you know boy I, i'll tell you 
you know, you talk about the MRC, geez, I mean, I know you and I have stirred up a few at the MRC events in Vegas and some of the local events too, but boy, what a classy organization. And, you know, when I look at myself, you know, I was an outsider to the industry, my background, and I know we'll talk more about this, really was a loss prevention practitioner for brick and mortar stores. And that's where I spent most of my time or the lion's share in my career. And when I got into the fraud space, the first thing I aligned with was with the MRC because I wanted to meet folks like you and, and, and further my relationship with Keith and, and Debbie and, and Diana and Mike. I mean, there's just a ton of people I look back and say, my gosh, if it wasn't for you all kind of accepting me in and bringing me into your world, I would have never been uh, successful. And the MRC was really the gateway of bringing yeah. me in and creating those relationships. And I think that for a lot of people, MRC is that that stepping stone into to these relationships into this this whole industry. You know, like they are the industry. Like there's other conferences, there's there's other events that happen all around us. But I think the MRC is like the one, like the, the central hub for almost all of us. And it's it's a really organic organization. You know, I've I've watched it change multiple iterations over my more than a decade in the industry. And I think that they're really, their focus on education now is is pretty interesting to me. I think that that's going to be super useful, but a lot of people like that's really where, where we get involved. I know that's where I got involved. That's where I decided that this was going to be what I did with my life was be a real huge part of this fraud industry because I love it so much, you know, but let's talk about you because this is you and this is spy cloud today. Uh, and you were kind of segue in there. Like, how did you get into fraud? You know, you, 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 you wound up in LP, then you wound up at the MRC. So let's talk about that. How, how did it happen? Well, I'll first start off, you know, I've got over 25 years. I don't want to say 30, because if I say 30, then I feel really, really old. So I'm going to keep on holding on to this over 25 years or over 20 year mantra in this kind of fraud and investigation space. But I'll share something with you that not a lot of folks know. Um, you know, I learned on your podcast that you're a lover of animals, especially giraffes. And not a lot of my friends know that I didn't start off in this career path at all. Matter of fact, um, my career started out as a detective for Kmart when I had a failed career as a Ford auto mechanic. And I people had no go, idea. come on. Like, people no go, clue. come on. Yeah, like you are an auto mechanic. And I did that for about three years. And um, I was around cars my entire life. My grandfather was somebody that worked in a steel mill. I grew up in the steel town and um, he always had cars at the house. And, you know, I'm sticking my head under the hood. What are you doing? I'm helping him lift something. And I just kind of had this general progression to there. I remember working at a Ford dealership in Pittsburgh. And one of the old timers said to me, he said, son, if you could get out of this uh, business, get out because your body, your mind, your soul, it just eats you alive. And I'm like, really? And then shortly thereafter that, our dealership was sold. Um, I took the layoff. And then I actually went back to Kmart where I worked in high school and applied for a loss prevention agent position. Interesting. So are you still a car guy? I still am. Yeah. What kind of cars do you got right now? You want to talk about them? <laughs> Well, I don't have anything currently um, that's of good mention. I mean, I have a Toyota TRD off-road, but, you know, prior you know. to that, I mean, I've had a Corvette, I've had a Grand National, Challenger, um, some of the import stuff like a Mercury Mercore XR4TI, Turbo, you know, so my hmm. game plan is once my daughter is graduated from college uh, to get back into maybe getting another toy like that, but not today. Yeah, I'm trying to to get a toy myself. My first car was a, a 1970 El Camino that my father had uh, had built for me, and it was a it was a lot of fun, you know, having a, a muscle car be your first car. But right now, um, I'm trying to decide if I want to place an order for the new 2024 uh, Mustang. They have that new dark horse package, and that it looks pretty cool. It's like gonna, it's supposed to be one of the last V8 ones that they make. I'm not usually big on American muscle cars. Um, but I want something that's kind of loud. I, I, I really want um, one of the Porsche 718 GT4s, but those are like impossible to get an allocation for. So I might as well just not right now and just wait, wait, wait it out while all these dealerships are doing this crazy markup and you have to have multiple iterations of Porsches before because I don't. But uh, yeah, I, I cars, cars are my thing. That'll always be my weakness as far as where I spend my money. Uh, I just, I love fast cars, you know. 
Well, I think we've all made bad decisions on cars. We've also made some good decisions on cars. Sometimes yeah. you act with them, act with emotion and uh, that's okay. I mean, you know, I've seen so many cool cars over the years um, and definitely something I want to go back to for sure. Yeah, once uh, once I hit it big, one of these days, I'm going to have all the Porsches. I'm a little big for Porsche. Like I went and did the, the Porsche experience, Quantumetric, uh, took a bunch of us out to to go drive some of those Porsches out at uh, at the track in Carson over here in L.A. And uh, I once I fold myself into the car and I'm actually in there because I'm 6'4", you know, uh, it's a lot of fun. And I definitely uh, would like to do that more often. But the getting in and getting out as I get older in life would probably be a little more challenging, you know. So, all right. So you were an auto mechanic and then um, you jumped back into LP. Let's talk about it. Yeah. So, you know, I, I did it the old fashioned way. Um, I started out as a detective and I had a lot of good guidance of folks that liked me and taught me how to catch people shoplifting. And I became really darn good at it. And as a result of that, I got promoted to a manager position. Uh, for Kmart. And then I went to um, a new or a new division that they had at the time that was called Super Kmart. So I got my own staff, a bigger store, um, state of the art equipment, did that for about a year. And then I was recruited out of there by my first, I'm going to say like district level job, if you will. I bet you if if the Super Kmart was now, they would have called it Kmart Plus. Just saying. (laughs) I got to tell you, though, it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, when I look back at the companies that I got to work for, like Kmart, and then I was recruited to a small um, consumer electronics chain here in Pennsylvania or in Ohio called Sun TV. And by the way, we were put out of business by Best Buy in Circuit City. Oh, nice. But I also got the I also got to work for companies like Staples, uh, KB Toys, uh, Sears, and then most recently. Um, Sporting goods whenever I was recruited over to there. And that's really, uh, when I look at my career, I think of Dick Sporting Goods as really kind of the tipping point of where I got to do some really, really cool stuff. You know, Dick Sporting Goods is super interesting to me. So I, I said, like, on my a couple podcasts ago, like when I was being interviewed by Diana, um, I came from a retail background and I actually came from the the time in retail when it was starting to do the shift to e commerce from for brick and mortar. And there was a number of of the sporting goods stores like that that were in existence when during that shift and a lot of that those stores were affected heavily by the the movement to e-commerce but you see like the discount retailers like the big fives and stuff that were making it through but the larger ones tended to not make it but somehow dick sporting goods in the middle of it all were able to maintain their footing and even grow that footing. And to this day, like we have a store over here um, in Cerritos that I go to, and it's just a massive store. And I actually, uh, I like going to that one because they almost always have everything that I ever need in stock. Like I wanted a, one of the giant solo stoves, like the Yukons the other day. And sure enough, they had it right there. I tried to go get it at like the Ace Hardware that's like by my house. And they had no idea what I was even talking about, even though like it was literally on their website. So I called Dick's. I had that thing in the back of my car probably 20 minutes after I made that phone call. And I just couldn't believe like that the they expanded under that. And like when you go into a store like that, that's one of those stores that when you walk into, you're reminded why you go to retail. It's clean. The displays are cool. There's people everywhere helping out. It smells good. Like that is one of the, the the stores that I think still embodies what we used to like about the department store retail store. When a lot of times you go into these specialty stores in the mall now, it's just to like get you in and get you out. It's not really, there's no sort of experience with it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, they were definitely big on the experience. And I mean, for me, I got to see everything that you just talked about as far as the growth of the organization, especially on the e-commerce side, um, I was thankfully part of that and got to witness that all. So when I started at Dick's, I was hired there as the manager of investigations. And I was brought on to really kind of stand up the investigations team and put some formalized processes and policies in place for investigations. And I had a lot of fun doing that. Had a very small analyst team, but we put exception-based reporting in into play, put refund management into play, and really started going and, and going after organized retail crime cases, which the company had never done before. 
So had some really, really cool experiences that came up during my tenure there, as well as I had an opportunity. I was tapped on my shoulder whenever they said, hey, we're going to start up this e-commerce um, fraud department. What do you think? And I'm like, oh, heck yeah, let's do this. I want my name right. in the hat. Yeah. Yeah. And you were there. You were there for quite a while, right? Like 12 years um, when, you know, I was years. there. Yeah. For 12 years. Wow. So that, uh, so you saw all the growth. I mean, you, you just recently left too, right? Like, believe it or not, this is so funny how time flies. I literally had my one year anniversary at SpyCloud like two days ago. Well, congratulations. No, I'm sorry. It's a little bit longer than that. It was on the eighth. So I made it a year. Here I am, you know? Yeah, we don't want to give away the magic, but that was uh, today's the sixteenth. Everybody, <laughs> so one year, one year and eight days. You know, so congratulations on that. Um, well, thank you. So now you're at a company called SpyCloud, and I think that we see we see you guys a lot because you guys have a lot of. Um, you're on LinkedIn a lot. You're you're sharing a lot of useful information. But let's talk about what SpyCloud is. Okay. Well, you know what, Jordan. When, when you look at SpyCloud, a couple of things I want to share with everyone is um, we just had our sixth anniversary. So we've been, uh, you know, in business for a little over six years. Uh, we have a little over 400 customers. Um, and a lot of the tools and things that you interact with, while you may not know that SpyCloud's there, we're actually there in the back helping some of these bigger organizations, whether it's if you're trying to book some travel or if you're logging into a specific site, we could be in the back running our analytics. But what we are is we're the leader in cybercrime analytics. Um, when people look at us, especially law enforcement, we're known as the good guys. And you know, when, when I made the decision to leave Dix, one of the reasons why I left was I got recruited over here. I started to talk to the leadership and I was like, holy smokes, like nobody else is doing what we're doing today. Interesting. So I think that like you guys, like I, what I know about you guys is like you guys pull in breach data. So you're you have you're looking at the dark web and you're pulling in like downloading all these lists and stuff that are seen. Am I am I right? I'm in the ballpark there. Yeah, I mean, so really what kind of separates us, there's many things that separate us from the rest of the pack. The first thing is. Uh, we have a human intelligence team, which is some of the which are some of the brightest women and men um, out there. And what they do is um, they go on to the criminal underground, the dark web, and they've created these trusted personas. And the bad actors actually give us the breach data. We don't pay for it. Just give it. And to? <laughs> they give it to us. So many people ask all the time. Come on. So these women and men have done this their whole life. They know how to do it. Uh, they created these trusted personas. They get in groups where nobody else could get in and they're trusted. And that's what really makes the difference. One of the differentiators between us and, and the rest of the folks. And if you were to say, you know, like how big or, you know, what are you guys doing? We're ingesting millions and millions of breach records a week and billions a month. Um, and, and when you look at our overall breach catalog, we're over 300 billion assets right now. And if you look at the total of how many columns are in that breached assets, there's like 212 columns of different categories of data that we have in our, or assets that we have in our breach catalog. Interesting. So you guys actually have people in there all day just going in and pulling lists down and then you're storing it and you're sorting it and, and, and putting it all up and then and then companies like myself or or other like vendors then are buying that data and adding it to like their i'm assuming like their accounts like when people try to log in or, or sending breach notifications like hey you need to change your password or even locking accounts that they know might be affected by by other breaches elsewhere right yeah, I mean, the thing that makes us really unique is we're very flexible. We have some very small customers, some medium-sized and large customers, enterprise customers, and we really customize what we do for them. So whatever problem they're trying to solve, we're there trying to help them. So if it's at login, if their concern is, let's say, like um, the loyalty, if, if there's a sector of business, like 
let's say the loyalty folks, if they're having problems with their reward certificates or their loyalty points being stolen, we could be right at login and say, hey, we see this email, but this password has been breached. Yeah, I see. Um, I, I'm really good about not reusing my password. Like, I'm really good about it. And I use pretty complex passwords. But every once in a while, there's like those little ridiculous websites that like you're like, why do I even need to have an account for this? And I reuse them on those um, sometimes. And every once in a while, I'll have to go log into something like that. And it'll be like, you need to change your password because it's been part of a breach, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I know that's that throwaway password on these throwaway accounts. But, you know, it is what it is. But I'm assuming but those come from things like you guys. Yeah, and it doesn't stop there. I mean, you know, like one of the things that we do is we don't not only protect the companies, but we protect employees inside of a company. So just kind of think of it the other way where we're doing kind of an active directory guardian piece saying, hey, uh, company XYZ, Pete's used this password X amount of times. It's in a breach. You'll want to force that. And then we've got a whole other section or a whole another part of the business that's going after either transactional fraud or just fraud in general. We protect domains. I mean, we're doing a lot of cool stuff over here. And again, that's why I came over here. Interesting. Yeah, I think that the the corporate, like the phishing stuff right now is obviously super big. Social engineering everywhere is, is especially during the pandemic with so many people online that weren't online before, you're starting to see that be the forefront of, of how people are getting this information. So, you know, I think you mentioned like the phishing, you mentioned the social engineering. Uh, you mentioned the breach. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit more just, just for the audience on like how our industry specifically is affected by the things that you guys are looking and, and trying to, to stop? Yeah, for sure. I will tell you, first of all, very few practitioners in our community are talking about this. And I'm talking about um, breaches and malware and the impact that it can have in that transactional fraud or account takeover. I can tell you um, just this year, I've been, I got on webinars and WebExes at least once, twice a week, just to hear what's being mentioned. And I have heard recently on a couple of podcasts um, that, you know, this malware infected devices as well as breach data can cause you problems. But for a lot of folks, practitioner wise, they get confused. They don't know what to do with this. They don't understand it. And I can raise my hand on that because when I was at Dick's, we did our transact. I was in charge of the fraud strategy, but if we started talking about IT security and malware and account takeover, that went to a different silo. Yeah. And this is really where I see it, where the fraud practitioners really got to be in lockstep with the IT security counterparts. I mean, that's, in my opinion, that's the way we're going. That's super interesting. Like, I, I think that, you know, I've said it on this podcast. I've said it on panels. We've, we've talked about it many, many, many times before is that the silos um, are difficult. The, I mean, even at this company that I'm at now at iHerb, you know, we, we have my fraud team and then we have a separate security team. Now, granted, we have a pretty good cadence where we talk. We have a couple of like what we have the Google channels that we are, are chatting in. We have regular meetings where we get together and we say, what are you working on? And, and we say our list, they say their list which is super great, you know, for, for getting that done, but it's still, it, it doesn't, it doesn't fix all of the issues that come from having these sorts of things siloed apart, you know? So there's a lot of bleed over, especially on security teams and fraud teams that people don't necessarily realize, you know, like ATOs or something that land in, in both of those courts. And I think we'll talk about that in a, in a minute, but it's just the siloing is, is something that I think people need to just really focus and be aware that it's happening and, and get those, those better communications and those better cadences with, with all of the other teams and, and try and set up and schedule regular meetings with your other departments to, to share what you guys are working on, because I think you'll find a lot of that information is overlapping and they might even have some tools and toys that you could use. And just, you might also have some toys that they could use too, you know? So there's a lot of that goes into to sharing these days. Well, you know, if I could say this much and I'm sure, you know, you've experienced this time and time again, it's not a lack for trying because when you're a fraud practitioner, you're being pulled 20 different ways. You know, I'd work directly with customer service. I'd work with the buying team. Then I had the product team. Then I had IT security. And, you know, it's, and again, in my opinion, I think as time goes on, the IT security and fraud practitioner groups have to work closer together because the practitioners need to understand what happens 
when a criminal gets their hands on credentials or PII and how that translates to issues uh, with you, not only just you as an individual, but your potential enterprise. And, you know, time over time, we've seen as criminals are getting better and better at tricking people into downloading malicious files, planning malware on their devices, siphoning all their login credentials, browser fingerprints, and also yeah. buying and trading breach data on the underground themselves. I mean, they're giving stuff away. You can go on Telegram and see free stuff. Yeah, it's uh, we get we get regular phishing emails sent to us like from our own IT security team uh, trying to see. And then if you if you click on it, then you get assigned uh, additional training. But so they just sent one this last week and it was so blatantly obvious, like we were we were laughing about it. <laughs> but hey, you know, I'm sure somebody clicked on it. I'm sure somebody did. It had a PDF in it and everything. That's funny. So let's get into the weeds a little bit. Um, so you you guys have all this data, and it's great that you have all this data. But what you're gleaning from it is going to be like what what's really useful. And I think that to my listeners specifically, like we talk about all these high level things, but I think I like to get into the weeds so people can actually hear real numbers and hear how it's being seen across the industry and possibly and probably is uh, resulting in in real attacks on their own specific websites as well. So so what are you guys specifically seeing? And can you give me any numbers around that by chance? Yes, for sure. Well, I don't think it's any secret. ATO is increasing. Oh. I think just about I think just about every podcast or webinar that I've yep. been on or white paper that I've read, ATO is off the charts. And when you look at the ATO attacks, there's been about a 307% increase between 2019 and 2021. And it's a hot Jesus. topic today. It's huge. And ATO losses increased 90% in 2021, totaling about $11.5 billion in losses. I will say, like, I, you know, we, we were talking, we were doing the panel, I think, in, in back in uh, March. And Everybody is tired of hearing about ATOs because they thought that we had all solved ATOs, you know, five, six years ago when we first started talking about it. And I had been screaming, actually even since September before, that like ATOs are back with a vengeance. And they still are. Like I'm still seeing ATO attempted activity on my site. And I saw that there was a big post floating around uh, even recently. And I think I, I texted you late one night uh, because there was a massive list that was happening somewhere that was hitting all of our sites on, on ATOs all on a Wednesday, all at once, across the entire e-commerce industry. Everybody was seeing it. So do not sleep on ATOs, people. Like, it is not done. You did not solve it. I don't care what you have on your website. You didn't solve it. It's back. It's not going away. And it's going to keep hitting harder. And it's going to keep growing. And there is a new massive breach every single day that's only going to contribute to the problem. Like, this is low-hanging fruit for fraudsters. It's easy to try and get into an account and monetize an account. Everybody's sharing passwords. Everybody's doing the same email across everything. So you just, you got to watch your site. You got to like double and triple protect yourself. And this is one of the big ones. Well, I will tell you, if you think about it, it is really easy and super cheap for criminals to get their hands on breach data and log into your credentials and take over your account. I mean, it's just, that's a fact. So if you don't have something um, that prevents that from happening, you're just going to be spinning your wheels time after time and, and a lot of people don't like they, a lot of people don't like to use 2fa and a lot of websites don't even enable it i mean look at twitter even took it away the other day you know like yeah well, well look multi-factor authentication is a safeguard you know we also know that it's not bulletproof uh, but it's better than nothing okay and you know criminals once they get your your information they're going to update that account in the settings or the notifications and they're in and they look like a legitimate customer and you're not going to get your updates anymore because they changed an email and it's lights out after that point. You're done. You're it's over. And then hopefully on, you know, the practitioner side, do you have the right tools in play to detect this? If not, you're not going to like your chargebacks as a result of that. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, I've been on, on other sites too that I've worked for that like the, the value of getting into an account wasn't even transacting with the stored credentials. It was, what was stored inside the account, you know, transferring things away, like, like tickets or, you know, stored rewards currency, like stored gift cards, things like that. Like you got to understand that, like sometimes the value of your account isn't necessarily making another transaction. It's what's stored inside the account itself. So. 
Well, you know, just to throw another number out there as we're kind of, you know, kind of getting into the weeds a little bit, you know, we know that 20%, 24% of all victims of ATO fraud had had their contact information, such as an email address or phone number, changed after an ATO incident. So we know that. I mean, that's based on the industry and that's based on, um, you know, the data that's out there. And look, I mean, I'm guilty of this just like everybody else is. We love saving our payment information in our accounts because it's a pain in the rear end it is. To, grab, to grab your credit card. But you know what? When you look at what we do, you know, you may say, well, what's the difference between you, uh, SpyCloud, and the other players out there? SpyCloud is different from your traditional identity uh, verification or anti-fraud solutions. We're going deep into that criminal underground, as I said earlier, with our human intelligence teams to collect that breach data and malware data from offline groups as part of their trusted circle. So if you think of this as layers, you know, when you look at the dark web or the, you know, the criminal underground, the first layer is the surface. And that's where a lot of public stuff is. It's commodity data. It's cheap. It's passed around. Then you get to that middle layer. And that's, you know, it takes a little bit more savvy and expertise. That's for vetted forms. And the data becomes unstructured and clumsy. And then there's the core layer, which, you know, that's where we're known for spy class. And that's where we get like the most valuable data from that core layer. So when you're looking at us, you know, we do some scraping out there, but the lion's share of what we get is from our human intelligence team. We curate it. We throw out about 60% of all the data that we ingest every week because it's, oh. du it's duplicate data. Yeah. We already have it in our database. And we're also known in the industry as the first to get the data. So a lot of times when we post our breach data um, and we do that every week, um, you'll see somebody else will post it six, seven, eight months later, and we've already posted it in our breach catalog, which is really cool. Yeah, that's that's pretty good to be ahead of it. You know, like that's why I usually, if I'm trying to figure out what's happening on my own side, I'm usually texting you, you know, to see if you're seeing anything. I'm just, I suppose I should probably be paying for that one of these days, you know, but I think we're, <laughs> we're, we're heading down that path right now, it seems. Uh, yeah, you know, this is, this is super interesting. I think like, like just to go back real quick and touch on one of the things, like you said, the, the ATO, like the account information has changed afterwards. You see a lot of, of websites these days, a lot of people in like the fraud and abuse prevention side, um, monitoring when things are changed after login. So they'll go to like, they'll have another fraud check at like email change or, you know, or payment method change or name change on the account. You know, I think it, it, there's, there's sites that used to have that happen. It was a lot more frequently, you know, like blizzard with their old world of Warcraft accounts, you know, um, all the, uh, clash of clans people and stuff like that but that was for different purposes where people were reselling accounts these ones are people that you know trying to full-on like take over an aged account to do nefarious things with it so definitely very interesting and it, it's good to know like you guys are, are deep in the deep instead of just grabbing the easy the low-hanging fruit like i always say on on the uh the surface level stuff because i think a lot of us can fire up a tour browser and jump onto a website and grab some some old stale breach data out there you know so what else do you guys see in well, we see, a, you brought it up earlier, a very, very high use of, of password reuse in our database, making people prime targets for credential stuffing attacks. It's funny, 70% of the individuals are using the same uh, credential com combinations across their accounts. And we see that. 70%? We're, <laughs> yeah, we're terrible at it. I mean, look, I'm going to be completely straight up with you. Prior to coming to SpyCloud, uh, it was a pain in the neck. I mean, I... It work in my previous company, yeah. we had a password manager. So you had to use specific passwords and they forced the reset. But in yeah. my home life, my password hygiene was terrible. It's you much use, better uh, now. You got to use Bitwarden. Bitwarden's free. And it's got Chrome extensions. It's got a, a iOS app. I think you're an Android guy, aren't you? If I'm not mistaken. Uh, no, I'm an Apple guy. I'm okay, an Apple good. guy. Okay, good. All right. Whew. Yeah, but Bitwarden, yeah. man, uh, I use that for both personal and for... Um, for my my work stuff too and it makes it nice and easy they have a little thing that they can generate a, a number for you too but like google's pretty good about generating the crazy password so yeah but 70 percent of individuals using the same the same combo and same password i you know i used to uh, at another company i worked at we we would obviously hash and salt the passwords but we would still get the the hash of what that password would be and we would take like the, the ones we, we would we would run queries and look at 
for hashes that were the same, you know, and then just run an account to see like it, who was, how many random accounts would have the same password. And it was shocking sometimes. And I'm assuming it would be the ones that were the people that were probably using something like password one or password 1%, yeah. you know, but it was shocking to like, you would get like 50 to a hundred accounts each day that were using the same exact like password in some way, shape or form. I couldn't see what it was, but we could just see that it was the same as these other 50 accounts had. Well, you know, talking about passwords in general, I mean, we have one of the most sophisticated password cr password cracking uh, systems in the world. I mean, we have, um, we can crack 90% of all passwords in the plain text. And that's really the magic behind, we could see the password reuse and we could see nice. what's going on to say, hey, you all need to fix this or, you know, we can make suggestions. Do you want to put that account into review? Do you want to force a change? And again, it's all based on the tolerance of risk based on the potential client. Some folks don't want any friction in there, which we get that. And other folks are like, oh, no, we're not going to we're not letting that one go. So I think we talked a little bit about multi-factor and, and 2FA stuff. Uh yeah. What do you, what do you see in around that? You, you, you just mentioned it. Yeah. And I think we all know things like um, SIM swapping and all that is, uh, is a thing these days. Yeah. We're definitely seeing activity around session hijacking, you know, multi-factor authentication is, is not a silver bullet as most would think. I mean, criminals are selling logins, browser sessions, and some of them give them away free cookie sessions on criminal marketplace uh, some of these criminal marketplaces are just a Google search away. I mean, it's not like you have to be the savvy IT person. And they're giving specific instructions on how to use the anti-tech the brow uh, browsers yeah. as well as um, they're really cheap. I mean, and they come with guarantees. So they're like, hey, for, you know, for a buck, we'll give you this. For two bucks, we'll give you this. And some of them give away free cookie sessions that – if you just dumped it into a browser, you could log into somebody's account, which is crazy. Yeah, uh, that was something that we were super aware of at the ticketing company I worked at the fast is uh, is people trying to manipulate cookies. So we were pretty hyper aware of that, especially for, for people that are in queue, you know, trying to get like high demand tickets. You'd see people doing all sorts of crazy stuff, trying to manipulate a cookie, thinking it would work. Like, thankfully, we were ahead of the curve there on that one. And uh, we're aware that those things were, were going on. So had had things in place on that one there. Yeah, you said like credentials for a buck. You got any uh, any idea how much things actually cost on there? You can give us uh, examples. <laughs> well, I mean, we're seeing anything from a dollar fifty to three hundred and seventy-five bucks for hospitality reward points, a hundred dollars for a bank login. But in that bank login, they're guaranteeing you're going to get a thousand dollars, crazy stuff like that. Two dollars for streaming sites, and then you know, as I said before, some of these cookies um, or browser sessions are free. And, you know, there's a whole different ecosystem for these criminals. And it's funny, as I said earlier, they offer some level of customer support. So if the criminal has a hard time with the credentials or using the uh, anti-detect browsers, um, they guarantee what they're selling you, which is pretty wild. They're really concerned about having a good rating for what they're selling. Wow. So they are basically setting up their own entire actual business on there. Which is kind of yeah, funny. Why didn't they just start a legitimate business to begin with? You know, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's pretty wild though. Wow. So that's a that's a lot of information there uh, that you guys are seeing there. So what are you guys doing for us? Like, what what do you guys do with the information for us? Like, what do we uh, what what do we do? What do we get from this? Like, what 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 do we what do the merchants get? Yeah. So you know, I think when you look at us again, I mean, we're different than any other traditional identity verification tool out there uh, because they don't have the visibility into the underground risk associated with their customers. And that's really, and look, I've used all the other ones and they're all good, but they don't do what we do. And that's a lot of times causes confusion. So, you know, we're doing the best job that we can to educate, um, you know, our customers educate folks through webinars or WebExes like this to say, hey, look, this isn't a knock on the other guys. We're doing something completely different than they are because our underground uh, um, data is only ours. Nobody else has it. Uh, we don't buy the data. And that's what makes us unique. And then we also have infected malware 
Uh, we could tell you if you're uh, if a device was infected with malware uh, because of the bot log informations that we put in. Um, if the passwords were recently exposed, if criminals have their plain text passwords, I mean, that's again, that's what makes us so unique and different from what everybody else is doing. Really interesting there. So for me as a merchant, so I plug you in and you'd be like, hey, this account has has had this this done or this this device that's trying to log in right now has malware on it. You should probably shut her down, like those sorts of things, right? We can definitely do that. I mean, with our spy cloud identity risk engine. Uh, we launched that earlier this year, and what we do is when you pass us off an email or a phone number, a combination of both, we give you a risk score, which is low, medium, high. Okay. And a lot of people are like, oh, God, another risk score, just what I need. <clears throat> but look, we not only give you a risk score, we're giving you up to these 24 key risk indicators from our breach catalog. And we're working through that now to do some customization around hey, if this is a e-commerce business, is there anything else in our breach catalog that they would want? If this is a financial institution, okay. is there something that they want that's different? Because again, like I said before, Jordan, we have over 200 lines or 200 segments of breach status. Some of the stuff is not very useful in the fraud world. Like, hey, do you have an air conditioner or not? But you would definitely want to know if somebody's Social security number was yeah. um, was breached. Their data, how many data births are associated with the person? How many emails are associated with this identity? How many um, phone numbers? When was the most recent breach? Is it being sold, um, you know, on a different commodity or, or a listserv? As well as, um, you know, how many other phone numbers are associated or date of birth. So when we're building this all together, we're curating this all through our spy cloud identity risk engine. We're giving you the risk score and then we're giving you these up to 24 key risk indicators. So it's up to you. Do you yeah. want both? Do you want action on one or the other or both? And it really is powerful stuff. Yeah, it, and it can help. It can help in the world of fraud. It can help reduce manual reviews. I mean, this is the benefit of this and let those good orders go through. It's just not about fraud all the time, catching it. Yeah. It's also about getting those good orders through. Yeah, it'd be nice to have like some step up additional data sometimes doing manual reviews that you could just automatically step up in and that way you don't have to actually manually review it. You could probably just pass it on. You know, I've used different step up like identity tools for years and years and years. Talked about that on some of the identity podcasts we've done here. You know, the loyalty fraud thing, I think is something that's, that's really hitting a lot of people right now that could be these a lot of websites had a lot of customer acquisition offers that happened during covid and then a lot of people tried to exploit those make multiple accounts and all those things yeah so well if i could jump in there real quick on the whole lo loyalty piece that was something that i battled with for oh gosh six years at my previous company and what we would find is somebody would set up a scorecard account you're familiar with dicks <clears throat> and after you spend three hundred dollars uh, you would get these reward points. And then sure enough, the person would go log into their account. They would get the notification and email, hey, your reward certificate's ready. They would build a cart. They would go to use the reward certificate and it was gone. And yeah. they would be furious. And the first thing they would say is, you guys were hacked. And we were like, yeah. no, we weren't hacked. You start talking to them, you have dialogue, and then you find out that they're sharing the password. Yep. They were part of another breach. And then the criminal just came in and hit their city bank, you know, hit their dick sporting goods stuff. Yep. And, and that's next what thing like they, the people never understand that like the site that they're being used on is not the site that the stuff came from, but they, the, the customer always thinks because somebody logged into their account with their stupid password one, you know, and their first last name at gmail.com that it's, that site that has weak security when well, no bro it's like your shit got like taken somewhere else and it's just because you used it across all these sites now they're all being hit and yeah we can help you out by adding 2fa in but do you want to then have to go grab your phone and get a buzz buzz on your phone saying hey hit this button here or solve this captcha or do this and that like no you screwed up by having password one is your damn password that's what happened on every site you know well i i can tell you and i'm sure you can you know i'm preaching to the choir on this one nobody wants to add more friction into the flow of, no. of especially when it comes to loyalty points you want to make it so easy 
that it's a seamless process, but that also starts the problems. And, and what I've seen is two things in this market, reuse of passwords and then malware on a device. If I could just touch on something very quickly in my previous company, um, we would go through those gyrations. The person would go to um, redeem their reward certificates and customer service would do the right thing. They'd reload them onto their account. And the person would be like, hey, I'm going to come back later and make that purchase. When they came back later, their points were stolen again. And they're mad as a hornet now. They call in, what's going on here? And you could draw the conclusion at that point, you got malware on your device. And they yeah. just key logger. Keylogger in the back, man. And I got some more points to use. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just it's just wild, you know, like the all these things that, that we have to do to like save customers from themselves, you know. And granted, there's the bad guys on there, but like just people clicking on websites trying to get the best deal, just infecting their computer with with computer aids. It's just so much these days, you know. It's we, a lot. We, yeah, and like we try to do things like we add all these software in to try and to try and help out, you know, and you see like banks are, I think of the, the most in your face example. Like if you log into your online banking from your home, usually you don't get any friction, but then you go and you're like, let's say you're at the office for the first time you log into your bank. Then you get like, Hey, let me send you a text message or give you a call. I was just on a cruise ship for a couple of days. Um, and it got used to me checking my bank account on the cruise ship IP address. So now when I'm at home, now it's trying to 2FA me at home every time until it, till it relearns that, you know. But uh, yeah, it's just all these different things, which I appreciate it, you know, but still could be annoying. At this point, it's like the third time I've logged into my bank. I'm like, hey, are we good to go yet? You know, like, you know, it's me. It's back on my home one. So. Well, you know, as well as I do, retail's not there yet. And this was a battle that we try. I tried to fight for years that people are getting more used to these multi-factor authentication scenarios. Um, when I log into my account for bank, I have it set up. It takes a second. It gives me another layer of protection. I feel good about it. It's not a silver bullet, but it makes you feel good. But retail's just not there yet. And it, there's going to be some challenges because you're going to continue to fight these battles around um, points and rewards. And, yeah. you know, we look at that as cash. That's cash for yeah. us. Yeah. And it should be, it should be looked at that. It should be like, just like gift cards. We always tell people you got to treat that as cash. Like you can't be fast and loose. Like your gift card gets stolen. That's on you. That ain't on me. So I think what we're going to do here as we wrap this up, we're actually going to talk about um, what, what, what do you guys have coming down the, the road? Like what's coming down the road from spy cloud. And then I'm going to come back and ask you what the, um, those top three things that are happening in your world to, to finish her out. So what, what's com what's coming down the road for spy cloud right now? So we're in the process of um, making updates to the current products that we have. So like our spy cloud identity risk engine, uh, we're making some updates to that. We're going to continue to iterate on that based on the feedback of our clients and our customers. And every time that we do a demo or a POC, um, we, get, we get more information based on feedback. So we're going to continue to do that and then talk about exposing or making part of the total scoring, some of the other attributes or data points that we have in our breach catalog. And then the second thing is, you know, we're exploring new ways to help businesses prevent ransomware. There's going to be more to come on that in the upcoming months. And, and I would love to come back, you know, next year and talk more about that yeah. um, when the time is right. But that's, you know, some of the things that we're working on today. I think that that ransomware thing is, is, pretty interesting you know we just had like the la uh unified school district just got hit with a ransomware attack uh, i believe like a month or two ago but those hospital ones that happened in 2017 you know that there was just a massive deal i think ransomware is something that uh that is really interesting and there hasn't been a good solve for that just yet so definitely when you guys get a little further down the road there and you're ready let's uh let's have another conversation about that so now to the end the big, the big three. What are the big three that are happening in your world and why? I think we already talked about one of them. <laughs> yeah, and we may have talked about two of them, but just, you know, if I can't stress this enough, um, poor password hygiene. Folks, ladies and gentlemen, please make sure that you're spending time and using different passwords, using difficult to break passwords. And again, I, as I said earlier, 70% of password reuse rate on breached accounts and people are still 
it's making them an easy target for ATO. The session hijacking piece is something that continues to grow. And we've got solutions to help anybody that's interested with that. That's a little different and out of the, um, while it could lead to fraud, it's kind of a different uh, conversation around, um, you know, fraud. And then obviously for everyone um, on the call, depending on when you'll hear this uh, broadcast, you got holiday season coming up in peak season. We've already seen criminals advertising 50% off, and I can't make this stuff up, 50% off Black Friday sales on credentials. Uh, so Jeez. be prepared, be prepared practitioners. Uh, the criminals yeah. are ramping up for the holidays and they're coming after you guys. Yeah. Now this episode will come out after uh, Black Friday, but just barely after Black Friday. So everybody be aware that those people that, that took advantage of that sale now have those credentials and they're coming after you. So lock your websites down. And I, I think all of us, you know, that's a good segue as we finish this. We are coming up on the holidays, everybody. Those are the busiest time of year for the vast majority of us that are in the, the e-commerce space. It's going to be crazy. Your teams are going to be busy. Your your managers and your your SLT is going to be begging you to get those orders out the door like like faster than ever before. So, I uh, I feel sorry for you all. I'm there with you guys. Um, this is my first time doing uh, e-commerce in in the the holiday season because I've you know ticketing that I've historically done is always runs a, a slightly different type of busy season. Usually it's in the summer. So I'm going to be in the trenches with you guys this year. So um, Godspeed to all of us as we go through this. And uh, I hope everybody has a very prosperous holiday season. And and Pete, I want to thank you again. Thank you for coming on here. I know we were trying to get this one uh, nailed down for a while. A lot, of, a lot of craziness. I was getting sick. Then I had to go on vacation. So thank you for bearing with me as we go through and, and got this on the books. And then uh, we did this. We did this. We got it done. How are you feeling about it? I'm feeling great, and I can't thank you enough. You've always been a really great friend and an ally, somebody I could lean on to get advice or direction. Well. And and it's um it's great to be part of this community that we're involved in. So if I could just say to all the folks out there, um, good luck during the holiday season. Did it many, many years. I know what you folks are going through. Just be vigilant. And it's only about a two-and-a-half-week period now, yeah. so you, you all make it. I, I know you will. All right. Well, thank you again for coming on here and we'll talk to you next time.